Hey, and welcome to Things Worth Learning. I'm your host, Matt Stauffer, and this is a show where a curious computer programmer, that's me, interviews fascinating people about their passions. If you're watching the YouTube, you'll notice that I'm hand-holding a mic because Aisha was gracious enough to sit through the whole process of me figuring out why the heck my normal mic was not working. So I'm just going to be sitting here like a DJ. If you're listening to the audio, you should go check out the YouTube to see how ridiculous I look. Um, but anyway, my guest today is the gracious and wonderful Aisha Blake, lead developer relations engineer at New Relic, co-organizer at Self-Conf and founder of Title of Conf. Aisha, would you mind telling, well, hi, would you mind telling <laughs> the audience a little bit about yourself, whether it's your personal or your professional life? Yeah, absolutely. So hello. Howdy. Uh, <laughs> so I am a teacher, sort mm-hmm. of at the at the heart of what I do, whether that's being a software engineer or being in DevRel, like that's the motivation really in all of my jobs that I've ever had in tech. Yeah. And it's funny because growing up, my it felt like my entire family were all teachers. And I was like, that is the one thing I know <laughs> I don't want to do. <laughs> like Turns out. I, that seems hard. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think so. And it just sort of wound up happening. And so whether I I started literally as a teacher and writing curriculum for a boot camp, so Mm -hmm. sort of throwing myself into languages I didn't know and eventually landing on JavaScript, which I sort of knew, writing curriculum, teaching, and now as a developer relations engineer, I am learning as I teach, I, I feel like I teach less often, but mm-hmm. I am learning more in public, which mm. is just a lot of fun. I love that. And so that gets sort of paired with my theater kid background. Yep. Uh, if you can, if you can see me, there are <laughs> a bunch of Broadway posters behind me. You can see probably not all of them, but there are 10 behind me right now. These love are like that. some of my favorites from my college years mostly the wonky one is title or <laughs> i really want it to be title of show which is what the conference is named after but mm-hmm. it is actually in the heights whoop, whoop. love it <laughs> i see once as well but i don't know if i recognize any of the rest of them yeah the one directly behind me which i think is really funny is hair it is hidden oh, okay. by my hair which is appropriately yep there you go (laughs) i love that i was like i know that most people will not understand that this is a little joke i've made for myself but (laughs) but i still get to chuckle every time Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i love that so you introduced a lot of things and i know that this we're not actually talking about technology today but i wanted to do one real quick thing and i I tell everybody who's going to be on the show like i want this to be something where i I'm a technologist, so I have a lot of friends who are, but not everybody is who is. But I want to make sure that programmers and technologists enjoy the, the show, but also our friends and family enjoy it. Like, I want to be able to share this with my mom and my cousins and all that kind of stuff and for it to make, make sense. I think the topic today is going to make perfect sense for them. But I do want to say, if someone's never heard of DevRel or developer relations, can you tell real quick just, like, what does a job as a developer relations engineer actually look like? Yeah, absolutely. So... It's kind of a tough question to answer because it is so different depending on the company you're at. Mm, That makes sense. But at its core, it is 
being a sort of bridge between developers who either don't know about your product or maybe only use your product a little bit mm-hmm. to, or are or are active to the developers on at your company who are building mm-hmm. that product uh, as well as other sort of stakeholders in the company. So we sort of represent other developers, but we're also out in communities and mm-hmm. like actively listening to other developers. My team specifically is very, very community focused. Mm-hmm. And so we do a lot of streaming on Twitch. We're just starting to think about getting into in-person events again, oh, cool. which traditionally is a huge part of a lot of developer relations responsibilities. Mm-hmm going to conferences and talking to people and figuring out what's important to them. Yeah. I love that. It's interesting because I would have imagined that the average definition of DevRel would be representing your company to the community, which I'm sure is a part of the responsibility. But the first thing you said was representing the community to the company, which I think is a really cool part of DevRel's is, you know, like, if you imagine in, in your industry, whoever you are, listener, that there was someone whose job it was to represent, like, the big vendors that you work with, you might go, oh, like they're in our space, but we don't fully trust them. But DevRels are like all of our best friends. Like DevRels are like at every conference, hanging out, sharing swag. They're like, oh yeah, I got my company to buy the swag for you all. Come get some free t-shirts. By the way, what are you working on? You want to pair on something together? I've been doing this cool thing. Oh, you were having a problem (laughs) with our tool? I know the people who wrote that line of code and I'll get it fixed for you, right? Like they're just out kind of like being everybody's besties. So yeah. I love it. I describe myself as a friendly internet person. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I mean, I've described you before as my internet friend to multiple people, so it makes sense. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Thank you. Yeah, of course. So, okay, so let's let's move into the actual topic. So before we get to the topic, you know, the first question I want to ask you is, do you have any sort of life mantra, phrase, or idea that you try to live your life by? Yes, and it comes from those days of teaching in the boot camp, actually. Okay. So the phrase that comes to mind is let's try it. I love it. <laughs> like, and, and if you, you, if you're not watching the video, there was like a little bit of like the shrug emoji when she tries, just kind of like, let's just try it. Just see what happens. Right. What can, yeah. what can it hurt? Absolutely. It comes from getting questions like, well, what, what, ha- what would happen if I did X, Y, Z? What would happen if I changed this variable or this input? And my answer is always, well, let's try it. Like nothing bad is going to happen Mm -hmm. if you test out your your questions. I love that. And one one cool thing I think about that is the way you're wording it, you're giving the person who's asking agency to figure things out on their own, which I think is probably part of your methodology or your your ideology as a teacher, Um, you know, like as a teacher, you don't want to just answer their questions, right? Like you want to also be able to give them space to figure it out. And then I think it's probably also part of your ideology as a person. All right. So let's get to the actual meat of the episode. So you know, this podcast is about one topic that you are particularly passionate about. Can you tell me what we're going to talk about today? Yes, absolutely. We are going to be talking about making jewelry. Yes, I love this. I don't. I didn't traditionally wear a lot of jewelry, and I've le- literally just started wearing a silver chain all the time. And I was like, "Wait a minute, we're talking about making silver jewelry right now." This is. I'm very excited about this. So it's so perfect. I know. So I know literally nothing, absolutely <laughs> nothing about this topic. So normally I could at least give you like an introdu- introductory prompt to like get you going. 
I don't know. I got nothing. So could, where do we even start with this conversation? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's maybe start. We'll we'll work into it the way I sort of worked Just, into kind of your history, maybe making jewelry. Yeah. Uh -huh. And I imagine that there will be questions as we there go will be along, many. So. I'm confident. No <laughs> no concerns there. So yeah. yeah. Okay. So how'd so, you get into it? Yeah, I was at Michael's. Okay. As and one does. as one does, <laughs> I, it was right before Christmas. Mm -hmm. I hadn't bought my sisters anything. <laughs> what can I do? I generally, I'll try to make things. I was just going to or... say, are you traditionally kind of like a crafty person already? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm like a, a crafty light person. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You can or... go to Michael's, but you don't maybe know every single aisle by by memory quite right. yet. Right. And I'm often like really disappointed <laughs> the quality outcome. of the things. <laughs> So, like, as a child, I would go to Michael's and be like, oh, let me buy this toy for my baby cousin and, like, right. paint it. Uh -huh. I'm like, this doesn't feel, this doesn't feel right. I didn't make this wooden train. Right. <laughs> I've done that for my children as an adult, so I, I feel you. I'm like, I didn't make this gator. I literally just painted it green. He loves it, but I feel you. It's not the same level, so. Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, okay, well, what could I do? Where I'm actually making something with my hands yeah. that someone might want. Yeah. So I buy a bunch of wire, uh -huh. different sizes, just literally looking at the book and then yeah. figuring out, okay, what exactly do I need to get this thing done? I will, Got that's it. my yeah. shopping list now. Yep. I and then that. I go home and I spent probably the next two weeks, three weeks, whatever break I had watching mm -hmm. YouTube videos. Yeah. on making wire jewelry. Yeah. And there it, it is shocking how many different how many different shapes you can get out of just wire. Yeah. No, there's no heat. There are there are hardly any tools other than mm -hmm. cutters and and pliers. Pliers, yeah. Of different shapes and huh. it's a lot, it's just a lot of a lot of hands. <laughs> so so your your basic work is is that in a, is that still the basic or is like did you have you, did you graduate no. on a greater things and I should okay so there's definitely a transition so I really liked mm -hmm. the wire thing because with it and at the time mm -hmm. I was going to a lot of conferences and uh, it, and you sit at booths a lot of time right where you can just kind of be what are you gonna do now I'm this is actually my first official developer relations role that I'm in right now. Oh, okay. So I guess that's true. That makes sense. You were just going because you liked them. Yeah, I just really enjoyed speaking. And I that's yeah. where I met so many of my friends in the industry. And I was like, well, yeah. and I get to travel and I don't have to pay for it. They, I was they, like, they pay for your travel, they pay for your hotel. Yeah. This is great. <laughs> yeah. And so sometimes I would bring I would bring the the jewelry stuff along. And so it wasn't it. super practical. Yeah. But <laughs> I got to I got to a point where I was like, okay, well, I want to start making more varied designs. I want to have more freedom, make sturdier things. Uh-huh. Because there's only there's only so much. So one thing I wanted to ask before, I, I just realized I did just ask you to like, what did you go to next? But I want to have a better sense of what the initial kind of phases of of making this jewelry. So I'm imagining like a spool of wire, like a, like wire I would use in a, like a construction project. You take a piece of the spool off, you snip it with your cutters, and then you put things on it. I'm imagining, I don't know if they're like 
beads or colored wires that you're wrapping around and stuff like that or stuff that hangs from it. And then in the end, there's like a – it's twisted around maybe like a loop that goes into your earring. Is that kind of – your earring into your ear, I guess. Is that kind of what we're talking about or am I totally misunderstanding what you were doing at the beginning there? Yeah, so that is – that's a couple of ways that you could okay. go about making wire jewelry. But for me, a lot of it was being interested in wire weaving. So what? Yeah. Okay. Tell me more about this. So I would, for example, make a bracelet that was woven from, uh, you have a base wire, mm -hmm. which is like your thicker wire that's giving you the structure of whatever it is you're making. Right. And maybe maybe you have, I don't know, six base wires. Okay. And those are, say, 14 gauge. Okay. Uh, which is kind of thick. Yeah. The the rings that I'm wearing, for example, they're they're wire rings on okay. their 16 gauge. Okay. Yeah. So a tiny bit smaller. Uh, let's say that you have six. 14 gauge base wires and you're weaving those together with a much smaller wire, say okay. 20 gauge. So when you say you're weaving together, are those six all not woven? They're just basically six that are straight and then you're using the smaller to weave between them? Exactly. Oh, yes. Cool. And they might not be straight. They might be in different shapes that you okay. might bend them in, at a certain point to give mm. your to give yourself a place to like lay a stone or something like that. Got it. But yeah, I got really into weaving different patterns into the wire huh. and I could make different shapes that way as well. So I had these herringbone earrings yeah. that I made that look they they cradle they each cradle a singular bead or a okay. round bead mm -hmm. and I made bracelets I made links for bracelets that almost match those earrings That's and so really cool. you get a little set going yeah those are probably my favorite woven pieces so but, with, when you were making these pieces at this point are these primarily for you gifts for friends or were you already like starting to sell them certain places like what were you doing when you made the stuff yeah all of the above okay there was definitely a moment where I was like, you know what? This tech stuff is too much for me. Maybe I'll just be a jeweler now. I love it. I mean, we all have those moments, right? Like, I think I want to just go herd sheep and never see a computer again for the rest of my life. That was definitely my sheep herding moment. <laughs> I love it. I went to, I took some time off. Like, I mm -hmm. finished working at the boot camp. I did a contract. I had a couple of contracts that I finished the year out with. Mm -hmm. And then I just do a makerspace every day for a while. That. And I was like learning machining, like computer assisted <sighs> so machining. Cool. And I was getting into different kinds of jewelry. Okay. A little bit of little bit of 3D modeling here. Okay. <laughs> That's some was, serious stuff, man. Like you're like really, you're really ramping it up. And w was that immediately post post doing the silver stuff, or had you, like the way you told me? Because I don't, I don't actually know what the phases of your journey are. So like, was this you. phase yeah. two, or was there something before this? So the machining and everything was kind of phase two. I was like, oh, what okay. could I make? What could I make with a computer, and then like craft with this machine? It, everything uh -huh. that I wanted to make took so long, <laughs> just like days yeah. on this CNC mill mm -hmm. 
Uh-huh. And I was like, this is not sustainable. <laughs> yeah. And when you say it takes so so long, it, I assume it's not just that, you, you know, it probably took you a while to plan it, but it was mainly that the, the mill would just be milling for days straight, yes. right? Okay. Yes, exactly. Oof, and it was a shared rough. mill. I yeah. don't own a CNC mill. It's incredibly expensive, uh-huh. like house expensive. Wow. Okay. Yes. This is not like At least the, the one I was using. Kind of situation. No. Okay. <laughs> Good was, to know. This was not something that I could have afforded myself. And so I, I was like, I can't. I can't mm-hmm. be in this shared space taking up this massive machine for uh, this tiny day for multiple days. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. just it's just okay. not a thing. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, well, what what other types of techniques I start using mm-hmm. to get the shapes that I want? Because I'm imagining like also really into board games. I want to make like pendants or earrings that are yeah. in the shape of some of the pieces that I that I like. Yeah, yeah. And so that got me into like, okay, let me learn about casting, different types of different types of casting. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a whole there's such a range of techniques. Yeah. And there are still jewelry, lots of jewelry techniques I haven't even tried. But mm-hmm. casting really drew me because there's so much freedom in what you can make and so many different ways that you can do it. There that are more or less accessible. Uh, so the first thing that I tried uh, is sand casting. Okay. So you can get a little, you can get a little kit. I believe it's called uh, Delft okay. uh, sand sand casting kit, and it's a sort of it's a sort of clay sand. Okay. It's very very fine, and so you can get a lot of detail. Mm-hmm. It comes with a little cup that you tamp the sand down into and you then need a, it's called a a master. Okay. So you, that could be as long as it's hard enough that it's not going to be damaged Mm -hmm. as you're mashing sand down on top of it, Uh then you're good. Okay. As long as you can get a good impression and then you want to dig holes for yourself. So you need one large hole to pour molten metal into, okay. but you also need smaller holes for air to escape. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. And that's that's true of basically any kind of casting. Right. Like you're pouring something hot and liquid inside and you need somewhere for the air that's already there to right. escape. Uh, so this is meant for smaller pieces, and it's great for jewelry because most of the pieces that you cast are going to be pretty small. Yeah, and so that's we're getting to, we're getting a little bit into my my home studio here okay. uh, because I, I did I went through a couple of maker spaces and eventually we hit the pandemic had to had to yeah. rebuild. Yep, as we and, all have done in so many ways. Yeah. Can um, I ask you a little bit more about the casting before you go forward? Absolutely. So you were telling me about the the thing where you're pouring the stuff in the sand. So I had imagined that when you were pouring stuff in the sand, there was like a sand and you were kind of like poking at it with little implements. But it seems more like, did you make the thing you wanted to cast out of clay or something? And that was what you're pressing the oh, sand I against? See. Or yes. How did you make the shape? Yeah. So whenever you are, whenever you're casting something, you start off you can you can do it a couple different ways you can carve out oh okay a shape whatever shape you want that's i guess you 
probably could do that with sand, but it's mm -hmm. easier, definitely. And the intended process is that you already have that shape, whether that be something that already exists, like, um, I don't know, I could cast this like pencil if I wanted something. to. Sure, uh -huh. right, right. Sure. Uh, or if you already have a piece of jewelry that you want to replicate, you can use Got that. It. Okay. Uh, and so you would put it down into the sand and it's easier if it's got uh for this particular for this particular method method it's actually it doesn't really matter the if the if the one side is flat but uh, you want it to be a shape that you can get the liquid down into um, oh right you don't want too many like small little nooks and crannies or whatever right. else um, okay, that's going to be much, much harder for the liquid to get into. And so you'll end up with a partial cast. Got it. And so once you, once you have that, whether you've made it or you found it or whatever, you, mm -hmm. you pack in your first layer of sand, you shove the, you shove your master into it. Like halfway? Halfway. Okay. Got and it. then you pack in a lot uh, more sand, as much sand as you can get in there, the tighter that uh -huh. sand is packed. Uh, the better the impression you're going to get. Got it. Okay. So you pack it down, you pack it down, you pack it down. Uh, you do it in layers. You tamp it down, mm -hmm. more layers. And then you remove the master. And you okay. should be left with a pretty hard impression of that thing. Okay. And that's when you that's where you put out the scoop holes. out your holes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so you have one, like I said, that you pour the metal into and then you also have little little flues for the air to escape out of uh, at sort of different angles mm -hmm. and that's true of whatever type of casting so we're talking about sand casting but you could also use cuttlefish that's like another sort of rough i assume there's no actual cuttlefish involved oh, in this no it's actual cuttlefish the the bone is really soft. It sounds kind of gruesome when you describe it that way. It's a little bit. You, yeah, they cut the cuttlefish in half. <laughs> and then you just, you, you carve out Whoa. whatever you're wanting to make that impression of. And then you bind okay. it back up with, uh, with uh -huh. binding wire, which is just like, mm -hmm. I think it's iron. I'm not sure, okay. actually. Steel huh. wire? Metal of some, some sort. Some sort of metal with a much higher boiling point. Right. And then you, in the same way, you also need those little offshoots and mm -hmm. a big enough hole at the top to pour your metal down into. And and there you go. Okay. So what, when you're casting, what were you, what, what were you pouring in? What was the metal that you're pouring in? Most of the time it's silver for me, uh, but you can, okay. mm -hmm. you can do it with, whatever kind of metal it's pretty common for people who are getting into it as like a crafting thing to do pewter or to do okay. uh, brass. Okay. Are they cheaper and easier to work with? Or? They're cheaper. And okay. especially with pewter, the, the melting point is lower. Got it. So you don't need quite as much fancy stuff and you're not as likely to harm yourself doing it. Probably basically. just as likely to harm yourself really, but okay. <laughs> But less fancy stuff, at less least. Less fancy stuff, yeah. Okay. All right. So at this point, you had started phase one was making primarily wire wire drilling. You were talking about weaving, stuff like that. Phase two is you went into the um, 
the maker spaces and you were doing all the CNC milling. Phase three was all this um yeah. this uh, so casting. Phase three okay. is getting into the actual silversmithing. So okay. I went to a different maker space, and this is where uh-huh. I learned most of my soldering skills and oh, all of that. And I'm getting more into studio jewelry or fine jewelry in a okay. couple of rare cases. So the studio jewelry is kind of my comfort zone at the moment. Okay. And that I don't, so I don't know what those lines are. Can you tell me what's what is what is whatever you're doing before versus studio versus fine? How yeah. do you did, how do you delineate them? I mean, I I would categorize most of what I have done as studio jewelry in okay. and that's sort of like a, a step below fine jewelry. Fine jewelry implies that you're working with precious metals, uh, precious stones. So like a piece of gold jewelry with a sapphire or something like that. It's essentially, you're working with more expensive materials. Right. Does it necessarily imply a level of talent in terms of working it so it's less crude? Or is it like, it doesn't matter how good you are, as long as it's fancy stuff, it's fine jewelry? Or is it not fully defined? It's, to my knowledge, it's not fully defined. I could be wrong. Okay. I'm not actually sure. a jeweler, but <laughs> I'm not expecting you to be an expert here, just to your level of knowledge, yeah. you know. Uh, I could be wrong, but my impression is essentially the the cost of materials. Okay. I, that makes sense. I feel like if you're working in gold, it's just so expensive that no matter what the actual <laughs> end product looks like, and this is this is me like not being an archy sure. person. <laughs> but <laughs> no matter no matter what, uh, I feel like it is treated as uh-huh, art, uh-huh. unless uh-huh. you're talking about like mass produced, you know, the little the yeah, little yeah, gold yeah. balls or, or whatever that you yeah. you get from Walmart. Any sort of handmade gold jewelry is necessarily going to be yeah. fine jewelry. Okay. So I interrupted you, and you're in the middle of telling me that at this point you had started doing some studio and occasionally fine jewelry. And I, you're about to say more, but I just stopped you. So kind of this – we're talking phase three now. You are learning about silversmithing. You talk about soldering. Can you tell me – like what kind of other stuff are you doing? Because at this point I still don't understand how you're putting these pieces yeah, together okay. other than the things you specifically have told me. So let's me, so. break down a ring. How about that? Okay. So yeah, let's do I it. actually wear the first ring that I ever made uh, all the That's time. That's awesome. And YouTube – Everyone check the YouTube and you can see yeah. it. I love it. <laughs> so there is split double shank. And the shank of a ring is the part that goes around your finger. Okay. Got it. And then there is a bezel around a turquoise stone. Okay. So the way that we would make this ring mm-hmm. would be uh, to... You could, you could start a couple different places. But for me, I would typically... Start by encasing, getting the measurements for the stone, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I would set this stone and then I might put it down for a while. I might not even pair it with a shank or anything else. I'm really, I might not even know that I want to make it into a ring, but I'll have it Uh ready to go. Um, And so when you say set it, if, if if, if you were to take that ring right there and chop the finger shank part, you you will literally have a stone, and for those who are not watching right now, a stone with a nice little well-shaped piece of silver around the stone. 
and you'll have done that before you even know exactly where that nice piece of silver with the stone in it is going. Yes. Is that right? Uh, okay, often. Cool. Yeah, not always, but yeah. Yeah. So in this case, I have a backing plate on the on the stone because I I knew in this case that I was going to make a ring. So I have a backing okay. plate on the stone. It's a it's a thicker silver than okay. the bezel that goes around the stone. So that backing plate is probably meh, probably like twenty gauge silver okay. sheet. Okay. I tend to go thinner because at the time, or I tended to go thinner because at the time I really didn't have a lot of money to be just like buying <laughs> silver thinner left means and right. Less money for silver, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I would buy the thinnest silver I could get away with, and then I would place my stones so that I was wasting as little as possible. <laughs> I'm recycling the silver, so like a jeweler's uh-huh. bench is built so that you can collect the metal shavings mm. and dust. Mm. And then you melt that down and you have- And then you got more materials to work with. You got more silver. Exactly. And so depending on the model that you get, like you might have multiple drawers, multiple large shallow drawers that you can use to collect different kinds of metal. Got it. So that you're not collecting and then melting your silver and your pewter and your gold or whatever together. Exactly. It's just mush. Okay. Yeah. Before you go further, can I ask you, so what- process so again i know everyone can't see it but just imagine a stone of any shape that you might potentially put in something and what she has right now is that there's a piece of silver that is wrapped around the outside edge and then a separate piece of silver originally that are now attached that is flat behind the thing so starting with just the 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 bezel you said the thing that goes around the Mm -hmm. edge how would you cut and form that like you said you took the measurements but then then what yeah do do there so the measurements are pretty rough actually Okay. I will, and I, I keep like putting my hand in front of my microphone. <laughs> That's fine. You sound good. <laughs> I will take whatever the stone is and I'll put it down mm-hmm. on flat surface and I'll take my bezel wire and just physically wrap, wrap it, around, it, it around. And okay. that will leave me with a little bit extra. Uh-huh. So I take, I, I cut my bezel wire, which usually is going to be very thin fine silver, uh-huh. whereas most of the silver I'm working with is sterling silver. Okay. Uh, sterling silver is going to have slightly less silver in it. So if you've ever seen the like 0.95 or 925 on a piece of silver jewelry, uh-huh. that indicates that it's sterling and not fine silver. Oh, okay. Does the sterling work better against like our hands or something like that? Or what's what's the benefit? Of, or is it just... Like, hey, it does the job and costs less money, so let's work it with it. It does the job and it costs less money. <laughs> I love it's it. also harder. So the, okay. the fine silver is going to be more pliable, easy to bend around. Around a the stone. stone. Exactly. And so yeah. okay. some people also use sterling silver for bezel wire, but mm-hmm. it's pretty common to see fine silver used. And you can you can finish it so that it looks the same. Yeah. So this is fine silver around this particular stone. Mm-hmm. So I got as close as I could to the right size and right. you want it to be, you want it to go all the way around pretty snugly, but you also yeah. want it to come just slightly above where the stone starts to, starts to dome. So uh-huh. this particular cut is called a cabochon. It's a okay. flat, unpolished back 
to the stone and then it's uh-huh. cut in it's cut into some shape it could be round it could be an oval in this case it's a triangle and then mm-hmm. the top is sort of domed and right. so that gives you a really solid base to then bend that like put a bezel lip wire over it basically over. Mm-hmm. Oh, and so there's okay. nothing holding the stone in except that little tiny lip that's cool but you don't get to that part until the very end okay and cool. that's because so you, you don't want to damage the stone Got in it. all of so the you other made operations this, yeah you made this bezel wire around oh so you're not all the other operations the stone's not actually in there mm-hmm. got it so you made the bezel wire but then you also cut i imagine you cut the sheet for the back mm-hmm. that's exactly the same shape as bezel wire and now is that when you're soldering how do you actually attach yeah. these two pieces together okay yeah absolutely so you get the sheet that's roughly the right size uh, or you could do it on a whole plate but then you're then you're heating up a whole sheet of metal and it's yeah that's more work than you need to be doing and so yeah. <laughs> unless you're doing a lot at one time i okay, just cut it, it out yeah. first yeah so and most people who are doing it as a hobby are not going to be like production jewelers just pumping them out right <laughs> so i cut the backing sheet roughly i right. will put my i'll get my uh, bezel wire the right size I'll, and that involves mm-hmm. that involves soldering the bezel wire closed so to do that right you are making sure that the edges line up as perfectly as you can possibly get them like uh-huh. i will like literally hold it up to the light to see oh if there is gosh. a gap in between uh-huh. like trying to get it as beautifully married as i can uh-huh And then you take a little piece of, a little tiny piece of solder. Usually I Mm -hmm. use uh, chip solder, but there's also paste and wire and a couple other things. Wire is the only one I've ever seen. Now I will Google all this and put it in the show notes for the rest of you later. So we don't have to make, I I won't make you tell us about all that. So use (laughs) chip solder. Yeah. And there are different hardnesses. So for a ring where you're going to be doing several different, soldering operations you start with harder solder because it's got a higher melting point okay and so as you then uh-huh. add pieces, solder the other things exactly. oh cool you're not melting the existing solder that's very cool yeah so i'll start with the bezel wire i'll use hard solder and mm-hmm. i'll get it to be the right shape and you know, if it gets if it gets bent out of shape as long as i don't melt it as i'm soldering it uh-huh. together then we're good Good, I'll yeah, use yeah. the stone to bend it back into whatever shape it's supposed to be, and then I'll Got set it. it on my backing plate. Then you're going to use okay. medium solder to get the bezel wire onto the backing plate, and then you can. Uh-huh. And then you have you know you have the right shape already. You can cut the backing plate to be exactly the shape that you want. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so we now have a thing intended to hold the stone and you wouldn't have put this backing plate on in some circumstances but because it's a ring you did so now it's prepared for a ring now you said it's it's i think you said it was a double separated or something like that shank is that right it's a double something split double shank so, okay, so similar and um, so tell me what that means yeah, yeah. i actually have uh i don't have autofocus so it, <laughs> 
I'm just. But I imagine there's two separate kind of pretend shanks that are attached to each there other. There is a little. What's the split part? Yeah, now? there's a little space. Oh, there's a little gap. Yeah. Just, but the gap's only there when it's attaching to the ring or attaching to the stone, right? There's no gap at the, the rest of the way around. Otherwise, that's correct. Yeah. So okay. this was a single piece of wire. You can buy. Oh really? You can buy this. It's okay. called a double half round wire. Okay. There's so many, so many different kinds of wire. It's wild. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> and so you can buy it like this. And I chose to cut a split into each end of the wire. So that it can kind of. Yeah. I'm trying to imagine how to say it to people who are not watching it. There's is Imagine as if there's two pieces. And you said it's a half round. So I assume that that means that the, the part facing away from your finger is round. The part hitting your finger is flat. Exactly. Right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So here imagine like a long stretch of wire each. But it's two pieces of wire attached to each other. And you cut off the bottom half of the wire. So the bottom half of the wire is flat. And you got two freaking half circles. They're attached together. You cut them to the rough size of the ring, and then you cut in between each of the exactly to so that when it got closer to the to the ring, it could kind of separate out and support the ring a little. Yeah, bit. exactly. You got yes. it. Okay, cool. <laughs> and that involves one of the most like fundamental and also the most important skills, which is okay. saw work. So, all right, <laughs> jeweler saw is huge. It's so important. And you use it in so huh. many different ways, so many different applications. I've seen people who make their whole living just sawing incredibly fine details into sheet metal and, and really? then like layering okay. it. It's uh -huh. and it can be so beautiful. I don't have that kind of skill yet. <laughs> yes. But I'm working on it. It's yep. um yeah, it's it's really, really cool to see people build things out of that sort of work. But even as you're just getting started, you can use your saw to get really clean edges on your wire uh, and mm -hmm. or in the case of a of a double uh, half round, you can mm -hmm. <laughs> you can use your saw to split the shank mm -hmm. and you get a really clean line and you don't have to do a lot of cleanup that way. Oh, okay. As opposed to like, is this saw? Go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. Is this saw sort of like a like a Dremel tool, or what? Is, what is the actual shape of Great it? Great question. It is a handsaw, uh, and we do have like a, a like a non. There's no. You're you're just moving you're something just back and forth. Moving it up and down specifically. Okay, got it. All right. And you, you get really really tiny saw blades to do this, and the mm -hmm. the trick that I have learned recently, actually, uh, the mm -hmm. rule is to try and get, to match uh, the saw blade with the thickness of the metal. You wanna get a saw blade that has three blades touching the metal at any one time. Oh, really? Yeah. Th three teeth? Three teeth, it, that's exactly it. Wow, okay. So that's your kind of rule that you know you have the right size. That's really interesting. And I assume that if you had one that was too big, then you'd be cutting more of the metal out than is appropriate. And then mm -hmm. that's right. Is that the main thing you're thinking about? Yeah. And it's also um, depending on depending on how rough you get with the saw, it can mm -hmm. make it easier for the blade to break. Also not a good thing. Right. Got it. I've, <laughs> okay. I have broken a handful in, in my time. I, I'm... Oof. 
typically pretty careful, so I don't do it a lot. Yeah. But especially if you're like training as a jeweler, my impression is that you break a lot of saw blades. Got it. Because they're very fine saw blades, so they're they're easy to break. Yeah, and know. especially if you're trying to work quickly, it's really easy mm-hmm. to just pull too hard and snap it. Yep. Wow. But yeah. All right. So you've given me all the basic pieces that you did there. So at this point, we you have cut the double round. You also have cut it, I'm sure, to the appropriate length for the ring. And then I assume you soldered it to the, the other piece? Yeah. There's, Where do you go from there's there? A yeah, little bit of, there's a little bit of sanding to get, again, you want oh, okay. a flat surface. And in this case, oh, we, are, we got right. double round, so we got right. we got to sand a flat surface so that we can attach it to the backing plate. What's the finest sandpaper that you use at the end there? I think I think the finest I have is probably a thousand grits. I didn't even know that existed. I mean, I'm sure you know just because I'm working with wood all the time. So I'm like, I literally yesterday. I don't have a, just totally aside, I don't have a miter saw. And so getting the right angle on the wood I'm cutting uh, all the time can be difficult. And yesterday I bought 35 grit sandpaper because I'm just basically going to use it like a saw. <laughs> I'm just like, just, I'm eventually going to sand this into the shape that I want. So we are working at complete opposite ends of the spectrum here. So yeah. All right. So sorry. So you sand it down because you want a flat area that's not double rounded to attach the thing to. Exactly. And then we're from there. And then, and then exactly. We use the easy solder now because we did the, the hard for the bezel the medium to get it onto the backing plate now we've got easy solder to attach the backing plate to the shank Mm -hmm. and if all has gone well it's the right size or a little bit small because then i can put the whole ring on a mandrel and i can like tap it into the right size oh cool with like a rawhide mallet Um, but that really mm -hmm. That's amazing. I had no idea. So if you do that, it literally is just going to stretch out the silver a little bit. Yeah. Especially since you will have just heated it up. If you heat it, um, Mm -hmm. if you heat it up to a high enough temperature, then Mm -hmm. you uh, have annealed the metal. And so it's going to be easier to work with. Okay. And when you're doing the initial shaping of it, I mean, the wire doesn't come shaped like a finger. So I assume that initially when you're doing that, you have multiple different shapes. You said, did you call a mandrel? A mandrel, yeah. So do you have multiples of those for each different ring size, basically? Uh, So the mandrel is uh, a long, it's like a long cylinder and it starts off small. So as you move down the mandrel, you get to larger and larger ring sizes. Perfect. Yeah. So when you originally formed it, did you form it around that ring size already to try and get you the? You, oh, yeah, okay. you get yeah. close. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is it marked at the various ring sizes, like little ticks? Okay. Yeah, exactly. This makes sense. I, I, I can understand this. Yeah. All right. So so you have attached them together. Now what? I've attached them together. And now, finally, we can add the stone. Yeah. Because this whole time, <laughs> it's only silver. Uh-huh. And that's just to protect the stone. There are yeah. there are some that can withstand that kind of heat. So, for example, yeah. I saw this really really cool technique where you melt, you place your stone, and it's it has to be something really hard like a diamond. Yeah, you place your stone in your setting, and then mm-hmm. you melt the metal around the stone. Really and you press the stone in and you have to be so careful, but it looks uh-huh. so cool and it's That's perfectly awesome. shaped because 
you have yeah. made that setting by pressing the stone pressing into in. the like soft metal. Yeah. Well, and as somebody who's never done this before, I wouldn't have had the baseline assumption that all the jewelry we tend to see is based on the restriction that you can't build that jewelry with the stone in it or else it'll melt. And so therefore there are just things we've never seen done in jewelry or seldom seen done because of that restriction. So I wouldn't have even thought of that until you told me that. It was really interesting. I love looking at interesting jewelry and trying to figure out how it was made. And and like when I can't, that's when I'm like, Uh oh, that's so cool. That's awesome. I love that. So, okay, so you now can put the stone in, and with this particular type of stone, you're just manually bending that lip over, right? Yes. So okay. with this with this cabochon or cab, at okay. this point, I should be able to just place it in. Right. And it'll all be the right size, and everything is going to mm-hmm. be fine, and it'll be level on the backing plate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's actually a really slow well for me at least with this ring it's a really slow Uh process to get it in the right shape i'm a little i'm a little less careful now but (laughs) okay this was your first ring it was uh you want to get in in this case where it's a it's a triangle Mm -hmm. you want to get each corner first and like pinch that kind of pinch that in a little bit but Mm -hmm. the whole thing should be really smooth all the way around the stone. And so mm-hmm. you can use a couple different tools. One is literally just called a bezel pusher. <laughs> you well use named. It to push the bezel <laughs> onto down onto the stone. Uh-huh. Uh, and you should end up with just the barest lip that is mm-hmm. just clamping down on the stone so that it never moves. Yeah. Uh, I've been yeah. wearing this ring nonstop for I don't even know how many years now. It's a, it's like at least five. Wow. Okay. And and you don't you don't have to worry about it falling out because you just know that this 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 does the job. Yeah. That's awesome. And so that's that literally you just walked us through an entire like, I know you said it's not fine fine jewelry because you're not using gold or whatever, but like legitimate nobody would know looking at that that you had made it yourself piece of jewelry that you as someone who does not do this as your day job are able to make. It's really freaking impressive. That brings me back to the question I asked you before now. Can people buy the stuff that you're making? Like, oh, yeah. what, what's your what's your primary target these days? So I've kind of become my team's jeweler in that, like, okay. like oh, you have that, you have a Tiffany necklace that is, like, dirty. That, and, yeah, sure, I'll clean that. Or, like, oh, your engagement oh, ring yeah. is too small or it's, uh, or you want a new one made. So literally, one of my teammates... Uh, her ring, she got a, a ring that is gold plated. Mm-hmm. And I think most people are familiar with gold plate, um, maybe yeah. not with gold filled jewelry. It's essentially no, the same thing, but with more gold. And okay. so it's it lasts a little longer. Um, but okay. we, but it's also, it comes with more of those restrictions, especially if you're trying to do anything by hand. Uh, mm-hmm. And so we're going to remake her ring in pure golds, not pure, pure gold, wow. but like yeah, probably yeah. 14 karat gold, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that sort of thing. Um, That's incredible. I was selling, I was selling jewelry um, for a while. I, I have, I had a company called Zuri um, uh-huh. and you can still find some of those photos at uh, Zuri Jewelry Detroit on Instagram. Uh, but these days I make jewelry on request. So 
I'll do I'll do one of a kinds, but uh, there's not a whole lot left to buy off the shelf. Got it. But if somebody wanted to, and I, normally we don't get this to the, to the end, but I'm just, if somebody wanted some custom work from you and they heard this podcast, where would they go? Yeah. They hit you up on Twitter or do you have a website for it? Yeah. Oh, you can hit me up on Twitter. I'm just saying you should like. Okay, cool. Cool. And all these links will be in the show notes and we'll talk about it at the end. All right. I love it. Is there anything else about working with Silver that we didn't cover before we roll, roll over to the last question? Mm. Obviously, there's a ton we didn't cover, but anything that you really want to make sure we get a chance to cover today? Ooh, I would say... Uh, that one of the really fun things about working with silver is that you can play around with the finish. Okay. So tell me more about that. Mine tend to be mine tend to be pretty plain because I like the silver itself, and I really yeah. want to focus on the stones. I have a whole we didn't even get into the stone collecting habit that came out of this hobby. <laughs> It's a whole thing. I'm very curious to hear about that. Can you get, can you give me like the 20 second rundown? Where do you even buy the stones? Yeah. From? Okay. So I found a woman in Michigan who okay. was going to the same makerspace as me at the time. And her father was like a professor of geology okay. and had been collecting these stones for decades. And so wow. she had, she had some things that like people don't mine anymore. Wow. That were only available in Michigan. Like, uh-huh. and she, this huge, huge collection that she would bring to sell. And so I can only imagine wow. what her actual personal collection is like. Uh, right. But it definitely, I definitely caught the bug from her. And so I would show uh-huh. up and I would take my little, my little paper plate and I would fill it with stones that I thought at some point in the future. I, uh-huh. I collected stones, cabochons specifically, the way that a lot of developers collect. <laughs> Mechanical keyboards. <laughs> Mechanical Sever- keyboards. That's. <laughs> Yeah, I'm getting we're getting into that too. But uh, Oh yes. All right. <laughs> I was Sorry. gonna say Stickers. domain names. <laughs> oh goodness. <laughs> I feel called out right now. <laughs> I have a problem. My name is Matt. You know. Hi Matt. <laughs> I'm a domainaholic. There you go. Okay, so I want to ask you a million more questions, but I know we're supposed to wrap it up. So we might have to do another round of this one, but I do want to ask if if someone were I feel like if somebody were wanting to get into this this in the same way you did, one of the things they could do to go to go to Michael's and buy a book about wire stuff and buy the materials there. But if they wanted to geek out about stones, do you even know where the average person can go to do that? Or is that kind of like you got to find your local dealer kind of situation? Yeah, so there is a shocking amount of lapidarists that are on what? on Instagram. Lapidarist. Okay. A lapidarist is a stone collector. Um, it's like a like a stone worker, like they okay, they cut and sell stones. Okay, I I think that's the term. I'm fairly certain. Okay, but yeah, <laughs> I I got this is the only reason that I use Instagram uh, is mm-hmm. to look at stones and I love that. wants to buy them <laughs> <laughs> and drool over I, them. I try and them. not to buy them too often. Uh, yeah. But yeah, if you if you search jewelry, gemstones, that sort of thing on Instagram, yeah. you will find uh, you will very quickly find gemstone Insta. Got it. Yeah, it's a whole world. <laughs> it's a whole world. I love it that. Highly addictive. So be careful. Yeah. <laughs> but if you want it, it's there. <laughs> 
All right. Well, I could ask you a million more things, but I know we're because of the technical thing. I don't know, but I'm pretty darn sure we're over time. So let's just wrap it up. So last question. What insight or support did you receive or need when you were younger that you hope more people will give to others? Yeah. So I thought about this a lot. And the first the first person that comes to mind whenever folks ask questions like that is my mom. Mm -hmm. She worked for IBM for a really long time. And that's kind of how I got introduced to tech at all Mm -hmm. was through Mm her. Um, And the thing that she really impressed on me and one of the things she really impressed on me was the importance of actively maintaining your relationships, your friendships specifically. Mm. And that had such an impact on my like quality of life growing up. And it Mm. has absolutely carried into my career now because I, I care so deeply about Mm. being there for people and for cultivating relationships And that makes my job so much fun. Like I, I know that wherever I go or whatever topic I need to talk about or learn about, I can reach out to somebody. Yeah. You know, somebody who does that and who's an expert and who you've made friends with over the years or whatever. And and we'll have fun together as we talk about that thing. I love that. And it makes sense. Like when when I heard that you got a job as a DevRel, I was like, of course you did. Like that, you know, like there's a certain type of person who is very well suited for a job that is essentially making friends, being helpful, caring for people or whatever. And so, yeah, I love hearing that. That's really cool. All right. So as always, could talk longer, trying to cut it. If people want to follow you, learn more about what you're doing, all that kind of stuff, support you, pay you money, whatever, where should they go? Yeah, I would say Twitter is probably the best place to actually reach out for like a conversation. It's and I'm okay. Aisha Blake on Twitter. I'm Aisha Codes on Twitch, which mm-hmm. is where I do all the streaming. And I'm mm-hmm. always looking for folks who are interested in developer education uh, to talk with me on my own show, which I will talk to you about later. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I'll have links to all these things in the show notes. And if you all didn't get a chance to listen to Prince's episode, Twitch is a place where people go and share something they're doing, usually on the computer. And most commonly, they share on a live stream, they state video gaming. But some of us have started using it for programming instead um, or various levels of technical education or whatever. So that's kind of the type of stuff that's going on there. So I will have links to your Twitter, to your website, to your Twitch, everything else. Um, if I can find the uh, the Instagram of your old jewelry, I'll make sure I link that as well. Um, and yeah, anything else you wanted to cover today or anything you wanted to shout out before we got a chance to wrap up? No, I think that's everything. All right, Aisha, thank you so much, not only for being here and being brilliant and wonderful person, but also for putting up with all the technical issues, everything else we ran into today. You're the freaking best. and I really appreciate you. Thank you so much for the invitation. This was a lot of fun. I, I think so too. All right. For all the rest of you until next time, be good to each other. Bye.